What does it mean for Jesus Christ to be God? Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. And also with us here in the studio, we have a guest. And I am Pastor Mike Proctor. Look at that. Over oh, in the guest chair. Our studio is evolving. We've got great things happening. <laughs> All right. So in this, we're going to be talking about the Nazarene article of faith number two, and that is on Jesus Christ. Now, in this video, we're not going to be answering all the questions that one may have about Jesus Christ being God, but what we are going to do is try to give you some tools so that as you are debating people in culture, you're even articulating your faith yourselves, we're trying to give you intellectual tools to help better understand what it means for Jesus Christ to be God. So, without any further hesitation, um, let's have Pastor Amanda read this article of faith. All right, so this is um, Article 2 from the Church of the Nazarene's Manual. And it says, We believe in Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, that he was eternally one with the Father, that he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary, so that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say the Godhead and manhood, are thus united in one person, very God and very man, the God-man. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he truly arose from the dead and took again his body, together with all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature, wherewith he ascended into heaven and is there engaged in intercession for us. All right, so as we begin this conversation, let's start with this concept of Jesus being eternally with the Father. Now, throughout the history of the church, people, namely heretics, have argued that Jesus was not eternal. They have had issues with Jesus' existence. There have been many people who have tried to claim that Jesus, he only existed after being born of Mary, and a lot of different versions of that. Let me just throw this to to the rest of us. Amanda, what are your thoughts on this immediately? Um, well, I think this has been a conversation that's happened really almost since the beginning of really even Christ's ministry. As soon as he begins proclaiming that he um, is from the Father, sent from the Father, the people begin to debate how could a man, uh, you know, be from from God. And he gets called a heretic, basically, and a blasphemer. And this is ultimately the charges that lead to his crucifixion. Um, and so there, and this conflict has continued for the last 2,000 plus years of us trying to articulate what does it mean for Jesus to be eternally one with the Father. And as we continue this conversation, we'll see a lot of times in church history, heretics moving one way or the other. Either they feel like he could be, if he's fully man, he can't be fully God, or if he's fully God, then he couldn't be fully man. And so we have to move, and we see ultimately what will win out, especially in the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed, is that, as we see articulated also in our manual, is that he's fully God and fully human. And if so, then he has to be eternal, that he has no beginning or end, just as the Father and the Holy Spirit um, are eternal. All right, so let's actually look at some scripture backing this up. So let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and read the first few verses there. Anthony, could you read John 1, verse 1 through 5 for us? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, so there's a lot of poetic language in that. Pastor Mike, tell us a little bit about this strange dialogue that John is trying to have with the faithful about Christ being there in the beginning. Well, obviously, they, 
he references uh, Jesus as the Logos, or the Word as it's translated in the English there. But you know, the it could be verb, but it is the logic or the uh, logistics. So we have so many words that come from Logos, but uh, the logic, the the logistics, the the reasoning behind everything there. Jesus was in the beginning, so we we see that same morality. Uh, as the Father. They are one together in holding things together and the reasoning behind creation. Yeah, there is this idea that God speaks creation into existence. I, I love that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia where you get the, the first book in the series where there is the lion singing and creation starts to come together. It's a great way to conceptualize what is going on in the beginning of, of creation. When things start to exist, God is using his word to give order, to give meaning, and to take this place, which isn't really a place because it has no meaning, it has no purpose. As Pastor Amanda said in the past, it's not like there was this nasty thing coexisting with God, but there is a lack of substance in reality. And God, as he starts to speak, that substance starts to emerge. There starts to be matter. There starts to be things that have a purpose. There starts to be logic. There starts to be physics. All right, so let's go a little bit further and talk some about heretics and things of that nature. Um, and I like that Amanda is, is laughing because I'm going to throw this at her in a second. Um, Amanda seems to, to be the one who truly gets spooled up about heresy. That, that's always a good thing. Um, so in the New Testament, there were a lot of people struggling with this idea of Jesus Christ being divine while also being human. And we're going to talk about the two natures of Christ in a minute. But one of the particular heresies that we've seen going on early on in the church were these people who were Judaizers, but they were known as the Ebionites. And throughout our scripture, we see times where the writers in the New Testament, they're deliberately trying to debunk this claim that Jesus Christ is not eternal. Anthony, I know I asked you to read 1 John, or John chapter 1 a moment ago, but now could I have you go to 1 John and read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 down through 25. John 1, chapter 2, 1 John, John 1, no, 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 John, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18, there we go. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not from, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they were not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. All right, Amanda, in this, we get it deliberately said, the Antichrist is out there to, to deny the, the Son, and in doing so, denying the Father. What about people who say, well, we want to confess the Son a little bit, but we don't really want to confess that he is 
the Son of God, but we like to say he was maybe elected the Son of God. He's only temporarily God's Son. You know, how, how do we, we wrestle with this and how do we push back on some of these faulty thinkings? Well, and again, this is a conversation that's been happening for 2,000 years. Um, John writes these, well, wrote his gospel and then later his epistle, and there's all these different theories for how and when those were written. But generally, these are put kind of in the latter years of the early apostolic fathers. Um, a lot of other scripture has been written or circulated before this. Um, not long before it, but anyways, what I'm saying is that it reveals a conversation that has been happening. And an early confession for who Jesus is, is that Jesus is Lord. And as that proclamation was, is simply then that Caesar is not. But even before that proclamation, you have Christianity which exists, exists within the paradigm of Judaism. And really the confession there would be Jesus is the Messiah. And it is a proclamation that God has always been at work redeeming the world. Now we see this fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But even this Jesus was at the beginning and being about the business of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, redeeming the world. And this has always been happening. This is not new. This is not something God kind of changed his mind around the first century. It was like, ah, I've got a new plan uh, for redemption. Uh, this is something that, that has always been at the heart and the character of God. And to confess anything different um, is heresy. And it's not just heresy. In, and it is hard to articulate. And we've joked before when we talked about the Trinity, make sure you have uh, the right noun in there when you say that there are three persons uh, but one God. Um, don't say three characters or three parts or, you know, so there's a time to be particular. There's also a time for grace to allow people to learn and to grow. Um, and it is difficult to try to understand how one person can be fully God and fully human. Um, and yet it is simply a confession, a part of the faith. It's not an invention of the Catholic Church. It's not an invention that happened in the last 100 or 200 or 300 years. Um, really, it has been something that has been confessed by the people of God uh, since the first disciples. And if we really look at who God is as revealed in the Old Testament, the Trinity has been at work, even if that word never appears in our Old or New Testament, it has been something that has been at work um, in the life of the people of God. And before I, I throw this over to Anthony, I want to flip what Amanda said around. Because just as this is not something which was new in the time of this being written, it's also something which is not old in our modern world. And by not old in our modern world, I mean it's not contained to the past. People are still struggling with this today. Oh, yeah. Anthony, I know you had some thoughts on that. Um, Amanda touched on it, actually, uh, towards the end. But just to sort of um, draw it out again, the there's sort of this idea that gets circulated. So I guess it's almost like a, a controversial theory or something like that, where, like, the divinity of Jesus was only pushed long after his death and the beginning disciples didn't believe that he was divine and all that. But um, if we take this to heart, it is kind of funny because it's literally saying here, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the son and in the father. And it's like, that's pretty clear. It's pretty just blatantly, blatantly, uh, blatantly stated that, you know, since the beginning of our faith, Christ has been considered divine. So, yeah, and it may not have always been well articulated, and it may have been picking out the words in the Greek and Hebrew and the Latin may have been troublesome. But yeah, it's definitely been something that we've always kind of found our faith in. 
Um, and something I wanted to point out real quick in our article of faith, it does say something to the effect of um, that Jesus Christ was eternal with the Father or something like that. And the point of the word was is not to say that he isn't anymore, but just merely giving kind of a context like we see in John 1, 1, that the word was with God and the word just because it happened in the past. It's not saying it only happened in the past. Um, it's something that continues. Um, obviously, if it is eternal, there can be no beginning or end. Yeah, and one of the implications that you have with a lot of these heresies for people who say, well, Christ wasn't eternal, they'll come along and say, well, he was a product of Joseph and Mary coming together. When when God says he sent the Holy Spirit down, he's just saying that God wanted to elect him to be a son. It, it's not that he's God's actual begotten son. There are some bad logical conclusions on that. And it's with many heretical things. They're, they're not very well thought through. They're not the most holistically complete worldviews. Uh, Pastor Mike, give us your thoughts on this whole discussion. Well, the beautiful thing is that we have church history. So as we look at how this came and, and came to be, there's always been heretics, but every generation, if they're not lazy in their faith, are going to wrestle with things. And I think the beautiful thing is we do not have to go to some of the extremes that our church fathers and uh, church mothers did in the in the ancient past, I guess you could say. But we can we can wrestle through those things and come to a faith, and not not a lazy faith, and just take it for you know what it said, but to actually read and see how the logic, going back to the word, as John would say, comes and everything has an order about it, so it makes absolutely sense. But it, it's good to be able to have that dialogue and that that um, that desire to understand. I think one of the greatest things we can do is to know Jesus, to know him, and that means everything about him. And, and we will never know everything there is, I guess, and uh, eternally we will continue to know him, I feel like, when we uh, after this world. But we must try to know him as, as, as much as we can and to study him uh, is great. All right. Well, since you were talking about this idea of the Logos, you've brought it up several times. Obviously, the name of our program, <laughs> Kingdom of the Logos. It comes from the Greek Logos, which means word. Because when we talk about the, the Holy Trinity and the second person of that, Jesus Christ, he is the word incarnate. He is the Logos incarnate. There's this growing theme that we have in our world, which often comes out of people not being taught things well, that Christianity is opposed to reason. Like this is just historically not true. Um, the second part, or I should say the second person of the Trinity, again, um, <coughs> we, we oftentimes, we, we do not script things around here, therefore... Uh, <laughs> when talking, a lot of different sentences come together. But when we, we look at the, the parts of, of Christianity where we bring people in and we send them through something like a, a catechism sort of setup when we're actually people, teaching people the, the basic tenets of doctrine, one of the pieces that we should be giving people is that when you look at the Trinity, the second person there in the Trinity is the Word, is the Logos. It is this idea of God coming and speaking creation into an existence where it has meaning, order, and even the very laws of physics are a component of that. Um, so let's let's get to all of this, this idea of Jesus Christ as the Word. And I know we already talked a little bit out of John chapter 1, which is always a, a tongue twister to try to separate out John 1 and then 1 John. But Anthony, would you read from John chapter 1, verse 14? John chapter 1. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwell among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. All right. 
if we're going to be teaching people basic tenets of Christianity, this is a piece of that puzzle which must be there. Christ is the Word. Amanda, talk to us about this. What does this even mean? Well, and I think uh, Pastor Mike's kind of hinted at it, like the Word is the logic, it is the understanding, kind of the basics, the foundation uh, of the world. And we see this even in Paul's writing where he talks about Christ being the cornerstone, being the foundation of which all faith is built upon. Um, Paul talks about him being the first fruits, the first to die, and the first to be resurrected so that we have the hope that when we die we can be um, resurrected. And and I like how even in this passage, so, so John's focus, the audience that he has in mind are people who are dealing with this heresy. And so he is, he's not even beating a dead horse, but he's making sure that they do not come away from this uh, gospel reading without, with, with any more questions. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just that simple phrase, he is again confessing uh, that one Christ is eternal with the Father. Um, And then he adds something where he comes from the Father. And this is where confusion will come. It'll be later fleshed out in the Council of Nicaea. And and we have to see that he comes from the Father, but he does not proceed from the Father. He does not. He is not created by the Father. Uh, the language of begotten is is what ultimately our early ch- church fathers and mothers will pick um, to say that there's not kind of a, a hierarchy where the Father is first and then the Son comes along um, even before time, but that there's there's this true unity and because of that if christ is fully god as we've stated in our first point the second point then is all creation finds its meaning its purpose on the foundation of the logic uh the logistics of of who christ is or jesus is yeah and and it is an important part of the the christian worldview that god does have a meaning and purpose for the different things in creation uh pastor mike talk to us a little bit about this this idea that we should be expecting meaning and purpose Absolutely. So I think, you know, there, there is more uh, to salvation than just being saved from hell and to go to heaven. But salvation it, it is full of purpose and meaning as God has purpose for every Christian. Every believer is a minister and that we um, are called in some form of service of one kind or another. But that purpose is, is about the reconciliation that is happening in the world. Um, as God has freely poured out his Holy Spirit and sent an advocate, that reason, that logic that we see in Jesus is also in the Father, also in the Holy Spirit, and it is poured out upon us as believers. And uh, so we are, we are blessed to be, um, I, I would say, uh, as, as some talk about the, the, the choreographed dance of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that we have been invited to uh, participate somewhat in this dance and it gives us purpose in life yes very good and let's move on to our third point which is the discussion of the sacrifice because i don't know about others in this room but i have been asked before and even when i was new to the faith and i was sort of a a immature christian there's this looming question of why didn't god just forgive sins why didn't just snap his fingers and the guilt of sins go away. Why was Jesus going to the cross actually necessary? Why was the sacrifice necessary? Has anyone else ever had this question or had that presented to you? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think it's been presented to me kind of in a different, not necessarily why he couldn't just forgive sins, but they, oftentimes, even I think when people talk, they're not quite sure how to conceptualize this. And all of a sudden, God, the, the Father, becomes almost this uh, very vampiric character where he yeah. just craves blood. And there had to be a sacrifice because the, the, the wrath of God had to be sas- satisfied by, by blood. Um, or it's almost like um, God just needed somebody 
to hurt somebody. And so he just kind of like picked um, his own son. And, and so, yeah, there, I think there is confusion on, on what exactly, why Christ had to die for us to have salvation. Yeah. And Pastor Mike, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I think you've got something on this. Well, I think we have to go back to Genesis where we are created in the image of God. And this atonement brings us at one with God is, is one of the ways that it's been explained. If you break down the word atonement at one meant, uh, but we, Christ is the exact image of God the Father, and by taking on the human form, that is what we are called to be and how we're called to live. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean we need to take on the the physical attributes and the physical uh, characteristics of Christ being male or, or grow a beard or you know wear a tunic. What it really means is to have the heart and the mind of Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's a metaphysical aspect of it that mm -hmm. is really what is to be pursued. And as far as the concept of sacrifice, this is one which really does need to be discussed. Because this idea that one can just approach God is something which was made possible through Jesus Christ going and dying on the cross. And then within the temple, there's this tearing of the veil. Like the Holy of Holies is made approachable by the death of Christ. Our modern worldview that says, well, why couldn't we just go to God anyway? You know, that is a product of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the faith of Jesus Christ. Those are the things which brought us to that moment. If we go back in time to the era known as Second Temple Judaism, which is the time period which Jesus is, uh, when he is born uh, of Mary, that is the time period he's coming into. And just for a little bit of history, it begins about 500 years before the, the birth of Christ to Mary, and it lasts till about 70 years after that moment. And in this period, people understood that if you wanted to, to have communion with God, in other words, you wanted to be in the presence of God, you wanted to draw near to God and be able to, to talk to him, you had to make a sacrifice in order to do that. And the more valuable the sacrifice, really, the better your communion time with God could be. And of course, when we think sacrifice, we really have two minds about this. Sometimes we think about the rituals and sort of the, the gruesome side of things. But realistically, the word sacrifice is this idea of giving up something. When you're giving up something of flesh and blood, you're giving up something which is actually valuable to you. When you give up your own firstborn lamb from your, your own flock, you know, that's a part of your livelihood. It's a very important thing. And in Second Temple Judaism, which again, that's the, the time when Jesus is born of Mary in Bethlehem, that is the time that he comes into. If in order for people to, to find themselves in the presence of God, there's this element that says you need to have a sacrifice. Well, the problem was is, Every time you wanted to do that, you had to come with another sacrifice. There wasn't this idea that one sacrifice could rule them all. And Jesus comes with this ability to be the true sacrifice because he is the firstborn of God. And this firstborn of God, it is a serious thing. And when God sends his son to die, it's one that has great weight and great gravity. And there's actually a scene from the Father Brown series, and it's from the episode titled The Wrong Shape from season one of Father Brown. Um, Anthony, if you would play this scene, it really captures the weight and the gravity that says God actually sacrificed something valuable to him. It was his son, and it was precious to him. So, Anthony, if we could play that clip. If you've got all the answers, then give me one good reason why you shouldn't swallow these pills. The fact you asked the question must stand for something. So you're not going to try and tell me that everything happens for a reason, that this is God's will? I don't know why your daughter died. And I don't know why God let it happen. Then what do you know? I know that God knows what it is to lose a child. And that he's standing next to you. And that he can't stop you suffering. 
but that he loves you and he loves your daughter and if you let him into your heart you will see Olivia again I will say there's something that uh, Father Brown did there that is really really hard which is to be able to admit what you don't know while affirming what is clearly known yeah the 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 natural state of humanity wants you to curse God and die, and suffering is a way to leverage people into doing that. Um, Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, again, there are many different atonement theories, but here in this particular episode, I think such a good uh, writing and a good discussion that can take place out of this, but God came to share life with us in Christ Jesus. That sacrifice, that extremely uh, valuable, precious gift of, of giving up <clears throat> You know, Christ left the heavens and the glory of God in the presence of the God the Father to come and take on flesh and blood. But he went and journeyed with us, even to the point of death and beyond. So the cross and the sacrifice is so such a huge part of that atonement, that at-one-ment, because if God came to share life with us and we share with him, then we also not only share death, but we share the resurrection. And God, through God, we have a new definition of what death is. And that is extremely important. And just yeah. as we saw in the episode, which is very good, the lady is struggling with the loss of a child. And God only experiences death, not only in Christ Jesus, in the painful uh, but from the, I think as a as a parent myself, it is you hurt, but when your children hurt, it's much more. So God the Father experienced death um, of His Son, and so death has be has been redefined by Christ Jesus by the Father, and that is good news because just as Father Brown says, we can trust in Him, give ourselves to Him, we will see again. Yeah, you will see that child again. And one of the most powerful episodes, I think that may be the best episode of Father Brown. Um, and it actually addresses a lot of the issues that are in the shack. I think it actually does a better job of it. That episode does, it's a fantastic episode, a beautiful episode. But the context of it is that child that was born, it was deformed, it died, and its parents, they really experienced nothing but a living death after that themselves. And Father Brown comes to say, I don't know why that happened. But I know that God knows what it's like to experience the loss of a child. And God loves you. And God wants to be with you in this. And, and that's one of the things which, as the church, an assumption that we've got to bring back. We're not promised that you won't go through the darkest valley in life. But we're promised that you will be given the rod and staff of God as tools to be there with you in that darkest valley. Amen. And sometimes people die while they're still in that darkest valley. That's right. But... Death has been redefined. Death has been redefined. Which that moves us, in a, that's a great segue into our next topic. Um, the descending into to Hades, the descending into the abode of the dead. If you're at a church where they read the Apostles' Creed regularly, and there's, there's other language out there that you find. It's not just limited to the Apostles' Creed, but there is this notion that Jesus, he goes to the cross, he dies, and he ascends into the abode of the dead. Sometimes you'll see this translated as the ascending into Hades. Some people even translate ascend into hell. Amanda, talk to us about that and even help explain why we probably should say something like a boat of the, the dead, really, if we want to be precise. Well, and, and because um, I think in our, our modern understanding, we've kind of equated Hades and hell, um, but really hell as a concept uh, wasn't fully understood until um, 
kind of later and really gets defined kind of post Jesus in the sense that um, where Jesus talks kind of in the last days that people will be separated either into eternal salvation or eternal judgment. Um, so Hades, early on in Judaism, the, that was the kind of the language, um, or actually Hades is more of a Greek word. But anyways, with this idea of just when you die, regardless of how you lived your life, you're, you, you just, you're dead. And you go to this place, the abode of the dead. Now, as it pertains to, as we're talking about in our Apostles' Creed and what Christ has done, when we say that he descended into Hades, it's kind of like an emphasis of he didn't just die or kind of died. He wasn't mostly dead, um, to paraphrase uh, the Princess Bride. He was completely and utterly dead, dead, dead. Um, and he descends into this place of the dead because it is there where Christ rises victorious. And as Pastor Mike was talking about atonement theories, um, and there are several different ones, and the Church of the Nazarene, we don't really, we, we don't believe in just one. There's and Basically, atonement theories are ways to conceptualize what Christ did on the cross and through the resurrection. Um, but we do kind of emphasize one over the other, and some of them have some great strengths, and some of them have some weaknesses. But really, the one we emphasize the most is the one called Christus Victus. And that really just is Latin for Christ is victorious. And so for Christ to be really victorious, kind of to sum up our last, these four points to kind of give them, uh, to make them one point, Christ had to be fully God um, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be fully human so that we can have the hope of being perfected in love. Um, and for and he had to really die for us to for him to be victorious over death that we can have the hope of the resurrection and ultimately he had to really resurrect a bodily resurrection so we can have a hope in um in that one day we will also experience the bodily resurrection and, and so these things are all important and as pastor dylan kind of referenced the problem with heresies is they don't c create a full world view they kind of just pick and choose little parts and when we take them to their logical end we find them wanting but if we look at what is orthodox, what is true thought, and then what comes out of that, which is orthopraxy, right action, is that it, it does create a full worldview. And so we have to have all of these things, fully God and fully human, um, co-eternal with the Father, um, truly died and truly resurrected, if we are to have... Um, a hope of salvation and even Paul confesses this uh, in his his epistles so this is early writings I know in our Bible the way our canons organized the epistles come after the Gospels um, but most uh, historic biblical historians believe that Paul's writings um, predated at least in circulation um, many of the Gospels if not all of them and Paul is writing that if Jesus is not fully God and fully human if he did not really die for us and for our salvation then we are, are, are to be the most foolish and the people with the least amount of hope in the world. Um, but the opposite then is true. If all this is really true, if all of this um, has actually happened as it did, um, then we have this great hope that we don't have to live in a world of drudgery um, or pain. And even though those things may happen to us, um, there there is great expectation for what Christ is doing currently in our lives and what Christ will ultimately do at the end of time. And. You know, we, we have weighed the actions of the heretics. Um, we have numbered them. We have numbered the outcomes of them. We have weighed them and found them wanting, and now it's time to split them up. Uh, to your point, Amanda, though, really, and this is a sermon that I, I gave last Wednesday night, and it'll be posted again this upcoming Sunday. There's, there's this idea that the household gods and all the, the fake ideologies, the fake worldviews, the stuff which is just phony and wants to manipulate you, they all speak utter nonsense. 
And when you listen to the elements of the New Testament, a lot of times they sound like nonsense too. Mm -hmm. And the realistic reality is, is, is that people, they don't want to hear rational, persuasive argument. People may say that they really don't. They really don't. Sometimes people have heard the truth. They've seen logic. They, they claim that their standard is they only believe in things which are empirical. You know, we don't even fully understand how the human mind works and people are completely happy thinking. Um, this notion that we must have empirical evidence for everything in order to believe it, nobody lives like that. At the end of the day, a lot of things sound like nonsense, but if that is actually true and not nonsense, like that's basically what Paul's saying. It, it sounds like we're, we're fools because this is crazy. But what if it's not crazy? What if it's absolutely, what if Jesus is who he said he is? And that's where we're put. Um, Pastor Mike. Well, yeah, I'd just like to, you know, break it down into some of my uh, my dear brothers and sisters who was, uh, you know, old school born here in the South. He, Jesus was graveyard dead. They didn't do CPR <laughs> and he was almost dead or whatever, but he was literally graveyard dead, placed yeah. in the grave for three yeah. days. And, uh, you know, this is good news for those yeah. who have lost loved ones and children who, who you know, um, and I know you're going through the articles of faith. You'll get you'll get to the prevenient grace, yeah. uh, which is extremely important. But but here you you see that Jesus he just didn't almost die. So when we say and and proclaim these creeds, when we affirm our faith, we're we're also affirming not only who God is and what we believe, but we're also affirming who we are. We're not Muslim. We don't believe that Jesus is just a good man or a prophet. He died. He is the Son of God. And he, he, he died. He, he descended into the abode of dead for three days. And he was resurrected. And, uh, you know, he ascended. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Um, and he will be coming again. Yeah, Praise the Lord. It's one of these things where if you want the consequences of Jesus actually dying and raising again, he has to actually die and be <laughs> rose again. That, that, yeah. All right. So Amanda already touched on this a little bit. And I know we've got to move things along for time. The fifth point and final point we had to talk about was this idea of two natures, him being fully God and fully human. People, again, they've struggled with this throughout time. People still struggle with this. They oftentimes want to think that Jesus is something like Jekyll and Hyde. And we've got a, a clip for this. Um, this is not correct, by the way. Um, we're going to show you this clip and to tell you how this is not how the two natures of Christ work. So we're not showing this to you, it's saying it is. We're showing it to you saying this is not. You can be that cure. Stop. A sacrifice to stop. For the greater good. I'm not interested in that at all. Ah! Okay. Don't. Okay. The we're just going to take a minute and we're all going to come up with a new plan. We have to go. You don't know what you're doing. Really? I know exactly what I'm doing. Oh, my dear, Henry Jekyll. If ever I've seen Satan's signature upon a face, it is on that of your new friend. Hey, 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 take it. Now, run, Mr. Morton. What? Run! Well, all right. That uh, is the end of that. <laughs> yeah. And what you see there is the Hyde nature is representing evil carnal nature. And then the Jekyll nature is trying to save the other and it's trying to rid himself of this evil nature. But that is not how Jesus Christ worked. But that's how some people want to conceptualize it. They want to say, well, human nature is, is evil. Um, it's always been evil. And they, they kind of forget that human nature was created in the image of God. But also sin entered the equation, which 
kind of set the new default setting of humanity to be sinful. But it's not this Jekyll and Hyde reality. Um, somebody give me some some rebuttal of this Jekyll and Hyde because there are a lot of people who want to to kind of buy into this twisted confrontational place. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think, again, this is an early heresy um, in the church, and this is kind of part of the Gnostics, and um, you have some other her- heretics are happening. And that's why there was such this pushback uh, against Jesus either being fully human or fully God, because to be fully human meant to be sinful in their minds. And so how could how could Christ, who was perfect, be fully human? Um, they couldn't see those two things coinciding. And so, yeah, you do get this... Um, Obviously, that heresy way predates um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but you do see that early on. And I think a lot of people do that because you'll see things like comments will be made. Well, um, when when we're called to be Christ-like, they're like, well, but Jesus was God. You know, that's the excuse why we can't be Christ-like because Jesus was God. And you're like, well, yeah, but Jesus was also fully human. And if we really understand what we're saying in that statement, we're also confessing that he is had free will and that although jesus is and was and will be perfect he could have if he really had free will he had the potential for choosing sin that that time in the desert where satan tempted him was really a temptation it wasn't an act um it wasn't a play it it really was that and so the early church decided um in confessing that Jesus Christ is fully human and fully God. Now we get to the next clip. We're about to play another clip because now the church has to debate, now that we confess that Christ is fully God and fully human, how do those two natures interact? And many people take it on as a very um, kind of Hulk and Bruce Banner um, aspect. So Anthony's going to play us our next clip. Oh, Hulk, what are you doing to me? Come out, come out, come out. Oh. No. No. <laughs> we're, no. We're not playing the clip or no? No, it, the clip is not going. No, no, sorry. Yeah. The Hulk says no. Oh, the oh, Hulk says no. Making a joke. Yes, no. And this is this is beautiful if you this is from um uh Infinity Wars. Um it I I love the Marvel movies and I I can totally geek out for probably another hour about just the films and these things, but trying to stay focused, sorry, getting myself on task. But we see this uh, this conversation that is happening between Bruce Banner and the Hulk where they really need the Hulk to fight uh, the aliens and the villains that are coming at him, but the Hulk's like, no. So we see two natures in one person, but they're combative. This, of course, is a big heresy that we see, again, um, taken down in the Nicene Creed. One of the things that I think is different, though, about the Jekyll and Hyde and the Hulk and Bruce is that both the Hulk and Bruce, I mean, it's not like one is a villain and one is a hero, but it is still a splitting. It's still a splitting. And people will still do this with like the, the human side of, of Jesus. And then the, uh, the God side of Jesus, they'll try to split them and say, well, they're kind of different. Yes. Jesus is still not the, the ultimate sinner, but he's still that human and he's not capable of, and, you, you just always get in a big mess when you try to split these things apart. Like, that that's it. Um, Pastor Mike. Well, it, also in John's Gospel, you'll see, you know, where we one of the earliest creedal forms that Jesus is the way, that it wasn't just um, immediately called Christians from the beginning. We, we know that, but <clears throat> the way. And so that way is, is you know, we've <clears throat> kind of translated or excuse me took the way and say you know the way to heaven is through jesus confessed but really the way is is really 
the it's the image we are created to be. So in that, we see not only does Jesus take on flesh and blood and share life with us and, and endure the temptations, as Pastor Amanda said, but, but Jesus also shows us how to live in right relationship with our other brothers and sisters, all of creation, actually even with ourselves and with, most of all, God the Father, to be obedient. and. Well, um, with that, life comes, and so does truth. Again, we're yeah. back to truth, reason, and logic. Well, we showed people how the two natures of Christ are not. Uh, but let's look to the Gospels, and we don't have to spend a lot of time <laughs> reading through everything. But y'all give me some examples of what it actually looks like for Jesus Christ to be fully God and fully human. I think um, as we were kind of planning and talking about this, I think one of the, the amazing things about our confession um in the Nicene Creed and in the Apostles' Creed, when we say that he is fully God and fully human, it's almost this idea, we do, we want to parse it out, right? We're like, the God side performed miracles and the human side got hungry and got sleepy. And yet, when we proclaim that Christ is two natures but one person, I think something is beautifully revealed in the fact that we can also say God got hungry. God got tired. Um, and and what, what makes that so amazing is the rest of the world, uh, both 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, um, 100 years ago, and today, uh, for them, gods were creatures or things or, or beings or entities that could not get hungry. They could they could not suffer. They could not um, journey with the people. They were just kind of out there in the cosmos, stoic. Um, and when we confess that our God put on flesh and walked amongst us, uh, that it really was God who suffered and ultimately um, God experienced death. God died. And that's weird to say because the Father didn't die, but, but Jesus died and really died. We're saying that everything, all of human life is consumed by the very nature of God. And, and there is, and we've said it a hundred times, but this is really the gospel message. That there is hope because Christ came for um, and experienced all those things. It, again, it's not, we can't, we can't just give up and say, well, you know, Jesus just did it because he was Jesus. It's, I have hope that I can live a holy life. I can be different. You know, just like God is different than all the other conceptualizations of deities and all the different ideas of what it meant to live a fulfilled life and a holy life. It, this God gives us real hope, hope and real holiness, and therefore we can live into that and we can be that. And that's the amazing thing, I think, of, of the holiness tradition. Uh, the amazing thing uh, about our denomination, it, we do not have a unique claim on the concept of holiness, but we, we quite preach it very loudly and very proudly. Um, and that's an amazing thing because our understanding of God is that God does not hoard holiness, but but gives it and allows and empowers us uh, to participate in that holiness. And, and just in case people are wondering, yes, the young ministers do preach holiness um, and we, we do enjoy spending our time um, preaching about holiness. Uh, Again, we've got to wrap things up. I know Pastor Mike wanted to emphasize Christ as a title and not just as a, as a surname, which is what a lot of people have come to think of the term Christ. But Christ really is a title. Um, I'll let you, you talk about that for a second, and then we'll, we'll send our final thoughts. Well, uh, it, to say the gospel in three words, I say Christ. I mean, God is king. And Christ is a title that, that in the Greek that means... Uh, you know, Christ, God is King. Christ is the Anointed One, reaching back to the uh, Old Testament uh, understanding of Messiah uh, being the Anointed One and and being a King. But uh, it it also says that God is King. Uh, back to I don't want to just go on and on and on, but if there are two natures of Christ, there is going to be that 
question, did God die on a cross if he is fully God? The, and the answer is we only have finite words to describe the abilities of an infinite God. We can't place yeah. God in a box. But the answer is God redefined death for us. And for that alone, God is king of life. Yeah, it, it also redefines life. And there is something deeply poetic about God going to the cross. Well, I think we're, uh, you know, as someone said, our language is somewhat slow in the church to, to, to come to uh, up to date. We see that from time to time. But when, when we say Jesus Christ, some people say that like, you know, that's last name. I'm guilty of it. I say it too. That's because our language is slow. But I prefer Christ Jesus. And it emphasizes that God is king. Yeah, yeah. very good. Any final thoughts? We all feel good. I know we ran a little I long so. today. Yes. But well, it's, and it's a long topic. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's why um, we've discussed before how it seems odd. Like we have the Trinity in our first article of faith and we go to Jesus. We don't have one about the Father really. Um, and there's some different things going on in that. But really, I mean, we this has to be established. And again, I do appreciate something about our church where we said our first article is the triune God. It's not scripture. Um, and I have a... Um, a theory that all denominations that have their first article of faith as the Bible are probably fundamentalist, um, and we are not. <laughs> and I appreciate that because really, if we do not understand who God is and who Christ is, then we have no hope for the rest of, of any of it. And with that being said, send your pitchforks <laughs> to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road. And if you'd like to send your pitchfork in the form of a, a help to us, you can do that by clicking like share or subscribe right below this or if you're listening to the podcast you can go over and give us a review because that will help us a lot if you really really hate us and you want to send those pitchforks grab a link to our content and send it to all of your friends and tell them listen to these awful people <laughs> and we will take your pitchforks in that form um but seriously we do thank you for being in here with us and spending your time with us god love you have a blessed day if you have anything you'd like to send to us in terms of thoughts, questions, or comments, please send them to us. If you want to help monetarily, you can donate at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. God love you and have a blessed day.